Welcome to TIFF Talk, sponsored by Endogastric Solutions, a podcast that interviews physicians and real-life patients about the most common gastrointestinal disorder, GERD, commonly known as chronic acid reflux. Listen to patients and physicians interact, break down the disease from different perspectives, and learn how taking the next step in your treatment can change your life. For our audio listeners, you can see visuals on our YouTube channel at GERD Help. The TIF procedure may or may not be appropriate for your health condition. Only your doctor can explain the benefits and risks of all treatment options. Results may vary. Visit GERDHelp.com for more clinical data. The TIF procedure for reflux was developed by Endogastric Solutions Incorporated. Welcome everybody and thank you for joining us for our TIFF talk tonight. I'm very excited to have two special guests with us today. We've got Dr. Monica Samoy, welcome and thank you for being here today. And in addition to that, we have Dr. Mary Klein who's joining us as well. So let me tell you a little bit more about uh, Dr. Samoy. Dr. Samoy is a uh, board certified uh, physician in both internal medicine and gastroenterology. She received her medical degree from Weill Medical College of Cornell University and completed her residency and fellowship training at New York Presbyterian Weill Cornell Medical Center. Um, Dr. Samoy has co-authored more than 50 publications and she holds memberships at AGA, ACG, AGA, uh, American Society of Gastrointestinal Endoscopy, and um, she also currently practices right now in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, as well as Princeton, New Jersey. So again, welcome Dr. Samoy and thank you for being here today. Thank you so, so much. It, it really is great to be here with you all. Awesome, thank you. In addition, oh, we have Dr. Mary Klein. So Dr. Klein is a patient of Dr. Samoy's and she just, re well, I shouldn't say recently, she had her, her TIF procedure earlier this, this year and I'll let her tell you a little bit more about her story in a little bit. But again, thank you for joining us, Dr. Klein, and, and for being here with us today. Thank you so much. I'm very happy to be here. Fantastic. So for all of you that are watching on Facebook, uh, this is live. And I just want to remind you at any time, if you have any questions for Dr. Samoy or Dr. Klein, uh, please feel free to type the message on uh, the comment section and we will do our best to answer all of the questions. So let's go ahead and get started. Uh, Dr. Samoy, can you please talk to us a little bit more about what is GERD and acid reflux and, and let the people watching understand kind of what types of symptoms can people experience or expect if they are suffering from GERD? Sure. So GERD is a pretty common but extremely frustrating disease where there is a mechanical issue that the bottom of your esophagus, which should have a valve that opens when food passes down into your stomach and should close after the food has passed, that valve doesn't work as well as it should. And so the valve will open inappropriately and food then and food and stomach contents will then regurgitate back up into the esophagus. And the reason people feel uncomfortable is because the stomach produces acid on purpose that is so important for digestion as well as 
cleaning your food because, you know, food is not clean, um, not sterile like your body. So that acid is really an important part of your body's physiology. But your esophagus isn't designed to handle the acid as your stomach is. So people get these terrible uh, symptoms kind of in their mid-chest, which is where your esophagus is. The most common one we, we describe is, you know, this burning chest pain, but GERD can manifest in a lot of different ways. So just because you don't have that classic textbook style uh, substernal chest pain, that's what we, we say, you know, other people can get coughing, other people can get um, difficulty sleeping at night, people can have respiratory issues, people can have a sore throat. So there's a lot of different symptoms that come from GERD. Perfect. Thank you for that explanation. So Mary, do you want to be Dr. Klein or Mary? How would you like me to? Mary, Mary, Mary please. <laughs> okay. Mary, tell us a little bit more about you and, um, and, and your story. What were the symptoms that you were having? What And, and how long were you suffering from, from GERD and acid reflux? So I'm, I was a little bit of an unusual case because a lot of my symptoms were more respiratory than anything. Um, I had the misfortune to have H1N1 when I was pregnant with my son, which in 2011, and it really destroyed my lungs. So I, had, I went from having mild asthma to incredibly severe asthma, and the incredibly severe asthma suddenly became very sensitive to the reflux I was having. Prior to that, I definitely, I knew I had reflux. I probably had reflux my whole life. I had a bout of um, a very persistent sore throat. I saw an ENT and she was like, you have GERD, go on some medicine. And that was probably in the early 2000s. And it was fine. I took some, I took some Pepsid and I was okay and I didn't always need it and that was fine. And then I had the illness with my son and it really damaged my lungs badly. And a few years after that, my lungs just started going south. And <clears throat> it was really getting bad and I was having repeated sinus infections, really bad hoarseness, sore throat, all that stuff. And my medical specialist kind of converged and said, I think it's your reflux causing your asthma to flare so badly. So um, it was a bit of a rocky course. And prior to meeting Dr. Samoy, I actually had two Nissans. I had one in 2013 and then one in 2018. Wow. Okay. So um, before you had your Nissan, what were you doing um, to, so you were just taking PPI or like medication? Yeah. Yeah. So be before, I, before I had my Nissan, the first Nissan, I was maxed out on every, I was a maxed out on PPIs and H2 blockers. So, and I was on wildly high doses, greater than anyone would normally recommend. And I wasn't really getting anywhere. And as I, I just kept getting worse. And then I started having heartburn and a lot of nocturnal nighttime symptoms. I was having weight loss because I wasn't eating and it was really just declining rapidly. And my, my, my quality of life was very poor. Yeah. <clears throat> terrible. So, uh, Dr. Samoy, can you talk a little bit about, um, what are, what types of, um, things can patients do, um, to, to treat GERD kind of, you know, before they consider, um, you know, surgery or the TIF procedure, are there different modifications, lifestyle modifications, food, uh, you know, aversions that they should do um, prior to making the decision? Yeah, uh, you know, for people who have mild GERD, we don't 
really recommend procedures right away. And there's no reason to do procedures right away. So mild GERD, we really do try exactly what Mary did, which was lifestyle modifications. Um, those are alternate <clears throat> to foods that we know trigger reflux. The most common that you'll hear are caffeine, alcohol, uh, tomatoes uh, is the big one because tomatoes isn't everything like pizza and ketchup and pasta. That, that's very hard to avoid. Um, as well as citrus fruits. Not everybody responds the same way to every food, but you know a lot of those are the common trigger foods. Okay. The other things we try and do is try and modify how you position yourself because your esophagus pretty much just is a vertical pipe. And if you can get food to go down, then it should not come back up if you're sitting straight up. You're just using gravity to help you. So, you know, one of the ways we try and do this is by having people sleep on a couple pillows or make sure they don't eat um, a couple hours before going to bed because then you're going to lie down and have all of that food pass out of your stomach and into the small intestine. These lifestyle modifications work very well for people um, with mild symptoms, but you know, unfortunately, some people do need medications and then some people still are symptomatic after that. And then that's when they see gastroenterologists. Right, right, right. So let's talk a little bit about uh, what are the available options to tr treat GERD today? Sure. Um, so other, once you kind of pass the lifestyle modifications, you know, your next one is medications. The most common class is the proton pump inhibitors or PPI. That's a lot of people will shorten it. So you'll probably see this a lot um, online when you guys are doing research. Um, these are the, you know, the Nexium, the Omeprazole, the, all those that you see on TV or whenever you go to the pharmacy. They're a very good class of medication that prevents acid. There is a pump on the cells that pump molecules into the stomach. And so by stopping this pump, you prevent that acid molecule going into your stomach, and then you have less acid in your stomach. Um, the other medication we talked about that Mary mentioned was the hydrogen, peroxide, uh, hydrogen blocker, hydrogen ion blocker. Again, it's very similar. It's trying to block the hydrogen ion of being, which is acid, being pushed into your stomach. Both of these are great medications, but unfortunately might not work for everybody to control everyone's symptoms, but they're both great. Then your next treatment, if those don't work, is the next thing that uh, was mentioned, which is the Nissen fundiplication. That was the surgical procedure where the surgeon would go in and, you know, through your abdomen, they'd make a little scar and they'd go into your abdominal cavity take the very top of your stomach and wrap it around the esophagus in essence to recreate that valve that we spoke of at the bottom of the esophagus um, and hoping to decrease the contents that were in the stomach to go up to the esophagus. The Nissen is an excellent procedure um, done by surgeon and does have excellent track records but, you know, there are some issues, and one of the main ones is that it's a surgery, uh, which a lot of people are trying to move away from in this world of advancing medicine and minimally invasive procedures. Um, and so that's where the TIF comes in. It's kind of one of the newer devices that allow us to similarly wrap the uh, esophagus and really recreate that valve 
um, but endoscopically. So in no incisions, it's all incisionless and you don't have to have a full surgery with it. Wonderful, thank you. So Mary, tell us a little bit about um, your process. Um, you, you're a very unique um, patient, right? <laughs> yes, that is true. <laughs> a very interesting story. And I, I mean that on all the nicest way. <laughs> But so you initially had um, the Nissen procedure um, and, and then you had it again. So tell us a little bit about that process and your, uh, you know, why was that recommended first and how did you end up coming to Dr. Samoy um, with, with where you were at? So the first Nissen um, was after my lungs just kept declining and I was doing all the things that Dr. Samoy mentioned. I had cut out caffeine, alcohol. I was sleeping as upright as a person could. I was doing all those things and I just kept getting worse. And by the time they did my first Nissen, my lung function had declined and I was walking around at about 60 to 70% of my lung function every day. Um, and that's a hard sell to doctors. They're not quick to make that connection that it's my GERD that's causing my lung function to decline. So there was back and forth. I was at a different hospital, the one Dr. Samoy works at. There was some back and forth and then the doctor, the surgeon actually was like, I'm going to do this and you're going to be better. And he did my surgery and I was much, much better than this and does really work. Um, I was back to 100% lung function probably in a few weeks, I think. Um, but unfortunately, because of my horrible asthma, when I get sick and I cough, I like cough from my toes. I don't cough like a normal person. I really cough. And so then in 2017, I got sick. I got pneumonia and I coughed really badly. And after that, I was immediately hoarse. I got pneumonia in April of 2017. I was hospitalized. I was immediately hoarse. And I was like, Back. I think I just undid my Nissen. But, you know, ever the optimistic trooper, I was like, it's fine. That's not what it is. I'll be okay. And I just kind of carried on. And then by, that was April, by September, October, I was just having this constellation of symptoms that was going downhill. I, my hoarseness was worse. I was getting burning. I had a constant sore throat. And my lung function was again starting to decline. And so I went to see, <laughs> it is good that people know I'm a doctor because I did not follow the system. <laughs> and I bypassed everyone. And I went right to the surgeon and said, you need to do this. And he was very nice and said, you need to go see a lot of people before I decide to do this. <laughs> so that was in September. And then I saw a bunch of people. I did a lot of testing um, and then kind of through a lot of consternation because there was not agreement amongst the GI, the lung doctor, the ENT and the surgeon. Mm -hmm. I just kept going back and kept coming back and I kept getting worse and worse. And so then the again, my lung function was at 60 percent. I wasn't doing well. And then that the surgeon at Penn said, I'm going to do this. And within 11 days of that surgery, my lung function had, had improved by 30%. And then by three months, it had improved back up to normal, which was great. Sec that was after the second. That was the second one. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And then how, what happened? And then I got sick yeah. again and then I coughed. <laughs> so <laughs> that was in May of 2018. Oh. And it was the following summer, summer of 2019, I got sick. And I coughed because I am a really bad asthmatic. And my asthma is not something people understand because of the H1N1. My asthma is just, I have really vulnerable reactive lungs. And so I got sick in July and again, was really hoarse. And I was like, please no. <laughs> and then I, again, I think I bypassed everyone again and went right back to the surgeon because that's part of my charm <laughs> as a doctor. 
And I went to him and he was like, yeah, I think you're probably right, but we got to do all these steps again. And the first person I had to see was the GI doctor at um, the hospital at the University of Pennsylvania. And he knew my case. He was involved prior when um, Dr. Dempsey had done the surgery. And by he was involved, I mean, we fought a lot because I kept saying, this is what it is. And he kept saying, no, it's not. And I said, yes, it is. And he said, no, it's not. So that was how we knew each other. So I went back to him and he was skeptical, to put it politely. He was like, "Eh, I don't know. I hope not. But he respected how he respected my lungs and my situation. But I had to go through I had to then go through the myriad of testing, which is a long, tedious process. Right, right. Let's talk a little bit about that, uh, Dr. Samoy. What um, what can patients expect as far as, I mean, I know that Mary's situation was, uh, you know, not everybody has that same situation, um, but generally what um, what is the diagnostic workup prior to um, having a TIP procedure or a Nissen procedure? Right. Um, most people don't need repeated lung function testing. Right. Uh, so so that, that definitely is a, a little bit of a special thing in, in this case. But, right. you know, most people will need a few things. The main one is going to be an endoscopy um, because we have to look within the esophagus and the stomach and make sure there's no structural issue that could um, be at play. Um, unfortunately, long-term GERD is associated with cellular changes that can eventually lead to cancer. So that it has to be the first evaluation at any patient who comes in. Um, again, one who's young and hasn't had reflux for a long time, the likelihood is, is low, but it still needs to be checked. Um, the next things that we're going to be looking at is more a little bit from history to make sure that there's no other... Um, motility problem because unfortunately GERD because it's so common is sometimes misdiagnosed for other esophageal problems Um, and those are really a motility or a muscle problem I guess so depending on how a patient kind of describes their symptoms they may need something called uh, an esophagram where you drink contrast and they take x-rays and they watch it go down Um, or then some sort of manometry, which is a even fancier pressure sensor to see what your esophagus does. And then we're definitely going to need to explain what the acid is and really show that this is true acid reflux. There are a couple ways that you can have that evaluated. Um, and those are either by a catheter that's placed in your, um, esophagus that's implanted for 24 hours, um, or another kind of pH little probe that sticks in your esophagus for over 48 hours. And the idea is to see how your symptoms are and you correlate it to what the acid level is in your esophagus. So once you look at all of those things, um, so you do the endoscopy to look for something concerning like cancer or any other structural issue, the structural issue being a hiatal hernia um, is the most common or some other weird structural issue. Um, and then a pH study, and if you need a motility study, um, those would be the things you're really kind of doing for a, a reflux workup. Perfect. Thank you so much. We we have quite a few questions that have come up, so I'm going to look to look at the questions, and then um, we'll try to answer as many as we can as we go on. So uh, first question is from Jules. Can an extreme case of GERD affect the thyroid? So... 
And, you know, GERD can definitely affect a lot of things. The thyroid itself is outside of the esophagus and it's a hormonal uh, ref, um, kind of system and it's kind of a closed loop system. So it really shouldn't affect the thyroid itself. However, your thyroid could in ways affect your GI system. So I would actually flip that question around because, you know, when you rev up your metabolic rate, when your thyroid kind of gives you all this extra energy and, and hormones, you know, that can interact with your GI system and can give people all sorts of symptoms. So that's what I would say. Okay. Fantastic. Uh, we've got Shelly saying that she had Nissen surgery in 2018 and it failed nine months later. And then the tip this past July 1st, and now eight weeks later, I think it's failed. This is what she's saying, because I'm having all my symptoms back. Mm -hmm. Why would that happen? Yeah, unfortunately, as much as all of these procedures are good, uh, it's not restoring your esophagus to back when you were, you know, like 18 and 20 and you could eat like Tupperware and like things would go <laughs> down and no problem. Right. So, you know, unfortunately, all of these things can still fall apart. You know, when you have a surgery, you are think of it like sewing a button, right? You're just sewing something to, to together and it still can come loose even if you try your best to tighten the string. So that's the surgical approach. And the TIF is as well, you know, we put these little fasteners to fasten the esophagus and the stomach, but even those aren't perfect and can slip sometimes. So unfortunately we try our best um, in everything we do, but not everything is perfect every time in life. The nice thing about all these procedures is, as you can see, they are repeatable. So the Nissen can happen again in very extreme situations, and the TIF can also be redone. So if you know it needs to be done, it can be redone. Perfect. Thank you. So we have a question, and I think both of you could probably answer this. Um, one, obviously, the the medical answer, and then um, Mary, you can uh, how you how it actually related to you. So it's um, from Dawn. She's asking, would asthmatic symptoms, GERD-related, resolve post-TIF immediately, or does it take extended time to heal? So I'll let you first answer it, Dr. Samoy, and then Mary, you can kind of tell us how it, it helped you or how it was for you. So I would say it's usually not instantaneous in the sense that, you know, when you get an asthma flare, your asthma is really because you have a reactive airway. The reflux and the acid is continuously affecting and making that reactive airway more reactive, but usually you're already reactive. So what the these procedures are trying to do is to decrease that stimulus, but you still have to get through that kind of reactivity time. So, you know, things don't usually happen in medicine instantaneously, though people do feel better relatively quickly after the procedure. I wouldn't say you wake up and magically you're, you're great. <laughs> usually it takes a little bit of time for your respiratory symptoms to resolve. Fantastic. And Mary, how about for you? How was, how was the experience for you? It was really positive. And I don't know if I would say it was instantaneous, but it was very close. So my asthma was so flared from my GERD that once the stimulus was removed, my asthma completely calmed down. So within, I'm, I could tell a difference in my breathing. I, would, I could wake up and tell a difference because when I would lay flat, I would just pant, huff and puff, huff and puff and get really, really tachypnic. I would breathe really rapidly. 
because I was refluxing so badly and flaring my asthma. And I could sleep much more comfortably the day or two after my TIF, like the day or two. And then again, because of my asthma, I have the misfortune or fortune to see my asthma doctor every two weeks. So my, I could, I could subjectively tell my symptoms were better within a couple of days. And then objectively, I saw him 11 days later and he said, yes, you're so much better already. But wow. I could, you, I personally could tell a difference in a couple of days because having the stimulus removed just calmed my lungs down. And if you're treating the flare, it's going to resolve once the stimulus yep. for the flare is gone. So you had a, like I said, like we all kept saying, you know, you have a unique situation. You had your Nissen, mm -hmm. then a Nissen again, and then the TIF procedure. So um, your asthma, how, how was it after, was it the same after your Nissen? Was it the same after the second Nissen? Was it this, as you were explaining the t after the TIF? Did it improve, you mean, the same? Yeah, did you feel, yeah. auto, you know, automatically did it feel? Yes, I mean, on, like, honestly, I all three times I, re I okay. responded very, very rapidly in a really positive way. Okay. Um, the, the only thing, the only difference with the TIF is there is some sore throat that occurs with it based on how they dilate your esophagus to do the procedure. And so I think that's confusing when you're the patient to figure out what am I feeling right now? Is that my asthma? Like it, it doesn't cause difficulty breathing per se, but it's discomfort. Sure. So I think that can kind of muck it a little bit, but all three times I had a dramatic improvement, which is why I kept going back for more. Because <laughs> every time I get worse, I'm like, well, it worked before. Yeah. Let's do yeah. it again. Well, so let's talk, let's talk a little bit about that. Uh, Dr. Samoy, can you kind of explain um, to our viewers on how, how, the, how the TIF procedure works? Sure. sure. So the TIF procedure, um, it's a, it all is endoscopic. So, you know, you don't have any surgical scars. You're, you don't have any scars on your skin. But how this works is you use an endoscope, which is the long camera um, that allows us to do regular endoscopy, but then it needs a device on top of it. So when we were talking about the sore throat, it's just because this device has to go down your throat. If it's not going through your skin, it's gonna go somewhere and it goes down your throat. Um, and the device is, uh, you know, it's a little bit big, it's, but it's not that big. It's not unreasonable. Your esophagus can definitely take it and it goes down. Um, and then what it does is it allows you to, again, kind of wrap or tack the bottom of your uh, top of your stomach to the bottom of your esophagus to recreate this valve. Um, the procedure is done under general anesthesia. So you are completely asleep. And the reason we do this is, as you can imagine, um, most people would know this when they sleep, they're moving because <laughs> everybody moves when they sleep. And, you know, when we want to do this, we want you to be still. So everything is done properly. And that's really the main reason uh, we really put you under what we call general anesthesia. So you're completely asleep. Um, and, you know, soup to nuts, the procedure can take anywhere from you know, half an hour to an hour or so, depending on how your anatomy is, how things look in there. Um, sometimes it takes a little longer if you need to have a hiatal hernia repair concomitantly with a surgeon, so that might extend the time. Um, but it's a relatively quick procedure. And then, you know, the great thing about it is you go home that day. Okay. Yeah, let's talk, let's, so... Uh, we get lots of questions on on what happens after. Um, so can you talk a little bit about post-procedure, what to expect? Um, usually the questions are always, what's the diet going to be like? <laughs> so um, yeah, what do you normally prescribe to your patients? And then maybe, Mary, you can tell us your experience post. Sure. 
Um, the so it might be Mary can tell you the real like life, <laughs> right? And I can I can tell you what we we all recommend. You know, it is a very strict diet, and the whole reason is your esophagus is where all your food goes through. So you want to make sure that you don't irritate that area. Um, there's no Band-Aid, right, on the inside of your esophagus. I can't like patch that um, to prevent you from touching it or, or anything. And food has to go through. You have to eat. So we modify your diet so it doesn't irritate the incisions. It's a little bit tough. For three days, you're on liquids, um, really kind of simple, clear liquids, some kind of smoothie type of things, very simple liquids. Then when you go to up to two weeks, you're on like baby food consistency, like very well smoothied stuff. Um, and then two weeks after that, then you're on more softer foods, like bananas and things. Um, and then you continue to increase um, more normal food up to six weeks. After six weeks, then you should be back to a normal, regular diet. Okay. Perfect. Perfect. And Mary, what was your experience like? So the TIF recovery with food is much easier than the Nissen. The Nissen goes on much, much longer. Dr. Samoy was warning me of how bad it was going to be. And I was like, walk in the park, no problem. <laughs> but um, I think how you handle it depends on two things, how desperate you are when you have the procedure. If you're really just not feeling well, it doesn't phase you to limit your diet. And then you just got to keep your eyes on the prize. It is difficult and you definitely need to make getting nutrition in your like primary job other than resting because you have to eat very small amounts, but you have to do it frequently because you're hungry because your stomach doesn't change in size, but your esophagus does. Um, so the liquid part wasn't so bad. What was a little bit challenging for me was when I went back to work. I am a physician and I have a demanding job that I cannot eat and drink while I'm doing it. So it was a little tricky because you have to take your time when you drink these things. I couldn't like chug a milkshake and go. It's over a certain amount of time, but it does, it's, it's painful when you're in it sometimes, but it's pretty short and you feel so much better rather instantaneously that I never minded because I felt so much better. I was okay with it. Right. And so did you have, uh, and I think I asked you prior to, did, did you have the uh, hiatal hernia repair as well? I did. So, so, so each time I had my Nissen and then the TIF, I had a small hiatal hernia. So Dr. Samoy was able to reduce that when she did my surgery, which my, my TIF, I mean, which was fantastic. Okay. Fantastic. Now, Dr. Samoy, after knowing that Mary had two uh, Nissens in the past, um, what made you decide to do a TIF um, third time around? <laughs> Uh, I you think know, it's because nobody would touch me. <laughs> no surgeon would go near me. <laughs> um, that definitely was part of it. You know, um, when when people come to uh, large academic centers like here, as we practice um, at Penn, you know, it is a lot of group discussion, um, and there are always a lot of people who want to make sure that we do the best for our patients. And so the surgeons, the gastroenterologists all of us were in a room really kind of describing the symptoms, describing what the situation was and kind of going through the pros and cons of the procedure. Um, and, you know, Mary's story was so different from all the other reflux stories that I hear because it really was so clear that she had such dramatic improvement in her lung function every time she has a reflux procedure. Um, and she, like she said, she could tell us exactly when <laughs> she knew she was better and when she was worse. And it correlated perfectly with all of her other studies. So, you know, from our point of view, um, 
as doctors, you know, we really have to pay attention to, you know, what patient stories are and how they're doing and what they feel. And because the surgeons were a little bit hesitant in doing a Nissen a third time, there is scar tissue every time you do a surgery, uh, no matter what surgery you get. Um, the, the hope was, and thankfully it did work out that way was that the TIF doesn't really have to go outside of the stomach. So I really am not creating that same type of scar tissue um, that happens in your belly. And so we wouldn't have to kind of even deal with any of that. And so that's why we chose this route. Um, and thankfully it worked very well. Yeah, fantastic. We had a ton of questions. So um, <laughs> we're gonna try and get through them. Um, so first one, can over the counter medications irritate my GERD symptoms like ibuprofen or Tylenol? Ibuprofen definitely has been associated with reflux. Um, ibuprofen has been associated with a lot of things, unfortunately. So it's a great painkiller, but really shouldn't be taking it for a long period of time. It's not just reflux, but it affects everything else. Tylenol, not as much. So if you have pain, Tylenol is the better option. Perfect. Thank, thank you. Uh, Rajesh is asking, Dr. Monica, how long does the TIF procedure last in terms of number of years post-surgery? Yeah, so all of the procedures, you're looking at durability, um, and there have been maybe a couple years now, it just published the five-year durability uh, study for TIF, which showed excellent durability over five years. Some people did need to restart some of their PPIs, but definitely their symptoms had drastically improved um, and maintained over five years. Now, not everybody follows the studies, um, just like our that other person who posted. You know, some people have symptoms recur, but it's a pretty durable and successful procedure. So most patients will do well. Fantastic. Okay, so Bertha's asking, I have I've been diagnosed with Barrett's. Um, it is mild. Um, can I have the TIF procedure? So yes, Barrett's itself does not preclude the TIF procedure um, as long as we treat the Barrett's first. Um, and it really depends on how extensive um, and how much cellular change there is in the cells of the esophagus. Um, so if it has changed a little bit more dramatically than just what we call basic Barrett's, um, then that would need to be treated first uh, to prevent you from getting recurrent uh, Barrett's esophagus. She said it's my, the, the changes are mild changes. So then yes, she should be able to get a uh, TIF. TIF, perfect, perfect. Um, Pam's asking, can you share if the TIF and hiatal hernia procedure can be done at the same time? It, so if so, is it very successful? Oh yes, and yes, uh, we do them. <laughs> Especially when you go to a center that does these a lot, um, there is a mechanism for the surgeon who would do the hiatal hernia repair and then the endoscopist, who'd be me, going in right after. Um, it does extend the time of the procedure um, because you just have to have two procedures, uh, but it can all be done under one episode of general anesthesia so you don't have to come back multiple times. Yeah, yeah. And that's what you guys did with Mary, correct? So Mary actually didn't need to. She small hiatal hernia that was just a little bit under a centimeter or so. So that could be done all endoscopically. Once you have a hiatal hernia that's larger than two centimeters, we really do recommend a combo procedure if that's what you choose. Perfect. Thank you. Uh, Diana is asking, is excessive burping weakening the sphincter? 
So burping itself usually is not necessarily weakening the sphincter, but what it can be is a sign that you just have issues with a weak lower esophageal sphincter. But I wouldn't say because you're burping, it will make your reflux worse. Okay. Yeah. Oh, so there's a question here from uh, Shane. Mary, was your surgeon supportive of TIF after two Nissens? <laughs> I'm assuming. Uh, that, that, that's <laughs> yeah. a great question. Um, he, he was supportive. He wanted me to be better, but he didn't want to cut me open again. Yeah. So he was definitely supportive of Dr. Samoy doing the TIF procedure. He thought it was a really good option for me because the risk increases every time you have surgery. And right. uh, I was, uh, th I did not know this even as a physician, but apparently the third time you go for a TIF, then they're talking about taking out part of your esophagus and esophagectomy. So that's not good. So he was very supportive of the TIF and very, very happy that it was a success too. Fantastic. Yeah. Wonderful. So uh, Cheryl saying uh, two failed Nissens, so she must have two failed Nissens, severe gas bloat. Is there any gas bloat with TIF? Mm -hmm. So the gas bloat symptoms are not as, as, on our studies, are not as drastic with a TIF as compared to Nissen. So it's a nice uh, alternative for people who have gas bloat. Um, you can still obviously have some, but it is much less. Okay. How I would absolutely second that. My experience, my yep. experience with the TIF was so much, so much better. And I was, I had much less gas bloat much quicker. And I am however many months out now, and I don't really have that problem at all, which surprised me because with the Nissen, I, it was a year before I could really resume everything that I wanted to drink and eat without having gas. And this was within probably the six week time frame. I think it was pretty impressive. Wow. Let's talk about that a little bit. You have an interesting story about when you actually had the TIF procedure. You had it back, Mary, in January of 2020, correct? Yes. Um, and then with your asthma and your lung function and everything, you you had also mentioned to me earlier something, you know, obviously a big elephant in the room is COVID, right? right? And how does that affect, you know, there's so many talks about PPIs with COVID and, and people suffering from COVID having the same symptoms. Talk to us a little bit about your story and your fear about, you know, when COVID hit, had you had right. not, yeah, tell us a little bit about that. So I was, I was incredibly lucky that I had the TIF when I did. And when I saw, when I had my TIF in mid-January, I don't think any of us could have guessed that COVID was looming on the horizon. And I got sick in the, the, in the middle of March, right when COVID kind of hit initially. And I, I'm in my bedroom currently, and I laid on this bed, sick as a dog, really sick with COVID, and so thankful that I had had my TIF, because I went into COVID with excellent, awesome 100% lung function, and I still got really, really sick because of my bad asthma. If I would have gone into COVID with 60% lung function, total sincerity, truthfulness, I don't know that I'd be sitting here with you guys having this conversation. I don't know that I would have made it through. So it was a very blessed, weird, wonderful side effect that I had the surgery in January that when COVID hit, I was ready for it because I don't know what would have happened, especially no one would have touched me by then if it was coming because all the hospitals, all the surgeries shut down. So right. I would have had no options just, just to kind of get it. And with my occupation, it's a little bit of a hazard. So. Wow. That's so great. I got the chills when you just said that. <laughs> talk about it. I'm sorry that you had to go through all of that, but I'm happy to hear that um, the TIF was helpful for you. Um, well, I, I literally laid in bed thinking, 
can I text Dr. Samoy that she saved my life? Can I? Do I have the energy to do that right now? You could tell her that right now. You could tell her that right now. <laughs> <laughs> it would absolutely 100% save my life. I wouldn't, I would have been in the hospital and I would have, I wouldn't have made it home. So. So crazy. Um, let's talk a little bit about that. Um, I, I know that there's some patients that watch or have questions about, you know, is it safe right now to have this type of procedure, the TIF procedure during COVID? Can you talk maybe a little bit about the safety protocols at the hospitals that you're working at? And, and you know, are you doing telehealth for those initial consultations before they can come in and um, have the procedures, maybe make them feel a little more like it's safe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's very strange times, right? It really is. Um, it is strange times, and you know we can only do the best we can to try and keep people safe. Uh, we are doing quite a bit of telehealth, and we are doing new consults as telehealth to try and keep people away from the hospital. Um, Sometimes, unfortunately, procedures just have to be done in person. There's just no way to telehealth procedures. <laughs> so um, any sort of the preoperative workup, as well as if you decide to do the TIF. All of those, when you come to um, academic centers, most medical centers, they're having you do COVID testing before. And that's for everybody's safety, um, both as the patient, so you're not exposed to the anesthesia and that risk, and as well to everybody else in the room. So it's a little bit annoying to do, um, but you know, before every person getting COVID testing, so anybody who walks into our unit, we know they should all be COVID negative. We know the tests aren't 100% perfect, but they're as accurate as they can be. So we're doing our best to try and keep every patient safe um, as much as possible. Fantastic. Fantastic. Um, can I, I'm sorry. Andre, yeah. Can I add one thing just about the durability of the TIF? Yes. Knowing I had two Nissens and they came undone because I coughed. I then had COVID two months after my TIF. And I also laid in bed thinking, I should thank Dr. Samoy now before it comes undone. Because I just assumed <laughs> it's going to come undone and I'll be seeing her again later this year. And every time it has come undone, it's taken three to six months to show the symptoms. And I am six months out and I don't have any symptoms of GERD. So I would say that the TIF in my particular case was more durable than the Nissan's. So that bravo, is Dr. Samoy. <laughs> All good things, all good working. All, all good yes. things. Yeah, so timeline, January, you had your TIF, you got COVID in March, and we're in September now. And by now, you if you had coughed your TIF open, if you will, you probably would have started feeling that. Yes, I would, I would already have decreasing lungs, sore throat, sinus stuff, all the stuff that came previously, bad night's sleep, all that stuff would have returned by now. And I'd already be knocking on Dr. Samoy's door saying, hello, <laughs> So we'll, we'll, we'll have to do another interview, maybe a, a, a six months from now. And, and how you doing? Right. <laughs> what actually happened? Yeah, no. So I, that is so great to hear. Um, so with all that said and everything you guys discussed, you know, this has been a fantastic, we've got a lot, we had a lot of questions. There's still some more, but um, we're kind of winding down um, towards the end of the hour. Um, so before, if we didn't answer all of your questions, don't worry, we will either at our next TIFF talk and or we'll um, reach out to you directly. Um, but I did want to give you guys both a chance um, to, to have any final thoughts or, or um, points about, you know, just, you know, not just TIFF, but GERD in itself. And, and I think for you, Mary, you know, you were that patient, you were an advocate for yourself. To, to continue going back in there and not taking no for an answer and, and finding the right um, physician um, that could help you. 
Um, so um, Dr. Samoy, is there any last um, uh, recommendations or um, anything that you want to say to the potential patients that may be suffering from GERD that you um, would recommend for them that are watching? Sure. Uh, you know, I would say GERD is very, very common. And so because of that, it's so common that sometimes people just kind of dismiss it as a, you know, oh, it's GERD. It's nothing. It's it's a simple disease. And it, it is, I guess, in some sense, simple because it's just, you know, a mechanical issue in that case. But, you know, it can be pretty severe. And so, you know, that's the key thing, you know, be an advocate for yourself, but know that your workup might reveal other things. So understand if it doesn't happen instantaneously, it's really meant to make sure that you get the right procedure that you need. Um, you know, in Mary's case, there was a lot of discussion. So this didn't happen instantaneously, though we wanted to move as fast as possible um, because we wanted to make sure she was getting the right procedure. So for patients, you know, see your doctor's Make sure you know what you're um, going in for. Make sure that you explain your symptoms. And with a real kind of doctor-patient relationship, get exactly what you need to treat you appropriately. Right. Perfect. I, I do have two other questions I, I wanted to touch on that did pop up. Uh, someone was asking, um, hold on, can you share if the TIF and oh, wait, you talked about that. Um, one of the patients is saying that how do I convince my GI um, to do a TIF when they don't do them? <laughs> um, and I guess, I guess that would be for you, Dr. Samoy. What do you recommend that patient to, to do? Do they find another doctor? Do they, what do you think they should do? <laughs> yeah, TIF is not um, as easy as a regular endoscopy. It requires extra training um, and extra experience. So, you know, I, I'm sure whoever the gastroenterologist is wonderful and excellent, but you really do need a therapeutic endoscopist to do this. And if your gastroenterologist is not a therapeutic endoscopist, they hopefully could be able to refer you to someone who has more experience in it. Whenever you do a procedure that's more complicated, you want someone who's done a lot of these and, you know, has the experience and the foreknowledge. So, you know, that would probably be my suggestion. Perfect. Thank you so much. Um, and Mary, uh, any last um, uh, any last comments about about TIF, about GERD, about Dr. Samoy? Um, anything that you want to um, you know let patients and other people that are suffering from GERD know? Um, what what can they do? Yeah, um, yeah. Any so I love can't say it enough. <laughs> um, I, my message would be very similar to Dr. Samoy's, but I would come at it from the patient angle. You absolutely positively have to advocate for yourself. I'm a physician also, and it is incredibly challenging. It was so hard for me as a physician with all my knowledge base and all my language and all my, I can talk my emotion aside when I talk to the doctor, which I didn't always do, and I can get through this. It was still incredibly challenging. And I sit here today smiling and perky, but I was dragging myself through life. I hate going to the hospital. I hated going to all the doctors. I had to give myself a pep talk every time I went because I knew the way my perspective was, I'm not going to like what they say. They're not going to listen to me. I just, it was really hard. And I had to fight every single time I had my Nissan. I had to fight for four to six months of testing and going back and going back and going back. So right. you can't advocate enough for yourself and don't let the 
Don't let the disbelief of the doctor get you down. Just keep going back and know your truth. I always say, have written down what you want to say so you make sure you get it, get through it because it's an emotional thing when you don't feel you're being heard and when you're not being taken seriously. So I would have my little note card. So I made sure I got all my points through, even though I am a doctor. Um, <laughs> and I would just as an empathetic thing for everyone out there, I am not an adult doctor. I'm a pediatrician. And I cheekily say about the adult world, whenever I saw an adult doctor, I was like, okay, apparently you think all patients are big fat fakers, histrionic and malingering. I was like, but I'm none of those things. So I'm just going to keep coming back. And I was a total pain in their sides. I was a pain in their butt. I was a pain in whatever body part I could be. I drove them up a wall. Dr. Samoy would be, never be so rude as to say that, but they had five conferences on me with her. Five. That wasn't because I was a walk in the park. And I just kept coming back. And I think it's also really important to have a good relationship with a primary doctor. That may not sound relevant, but you need someone to help you see the forest through the trees. It's really overwhelming of, they said this, they said this, ENT, allergy, GI, surgeon. And you need someone to help you kind of navigate that and figure out what's the important part and help you remember to advocate for yourself. And sometimes they can advocate for you too, if you're having a hard time doing it. So yeah, that's, that's what so I would cool. say. Most people don't need five conferences. <laughs> no, not at all. And <laughs> most, most patients would have given up after three. And I was like, I'm here again, you know. <laughs> yeah. Actually, well, that's do the, the, the GI doctor who I saw after the TIFF. <laughs> was like, so Dr. Klein, I have to tell you something. We all think we've really learned a lot. And he said, you're possibly the most persistent, compliant patient we've ever had. And it's really hard. They have you do crazy things. None of, Dr. Samoy told you those tests. They're not fun. They're not fun at all. But you have to keep doing them and keep disrupting your life and keep going back to get the results and all that stuff. So yeah. Yeah. Well, look at you now. So uh, <laughs> it, all, it all pays off, right? It exactly. Off. It really well, does. Again, I can't thank you both enough for joining us tonight. I know that everybody watching really appreciate it. We got a lot of people that said thank you. These, this was a great TIFF talk. So um, we appreciate it at Endogastric Solutions. Um, and uh, if you are watching and you're wondering, you know, how do I get more information, uh, you can uh, go to girdhelp.com. Uh, our website has a lot of information about not just GERD and obviously the TIF procedure. Um, most importantly, um, there is a physician finder on GERDhelp.com and you can put in your state, you can put in your zip code, and um, it'll list the physicians that offer the TIF procedure in your area. So um, you can go there. You can continue jumping on our Facebook page and watching our TIF Talks. We have them every Tuesday. So you're welcome to come on and ask the doctors. And if we have patients, um, ask the patients any questions. Uh, we also have a YouTube channel that you can rewatch all of our TIFF Talks as well. So um, again, Dr. Samoy, thank you. Dr. Klein, Mary Klein, thank you very much. Um, everybody have a great evening and um, we'll catch you next time. Uh, stay safe. Have a good night. Thank you. If you are suffering from chronic acid reflux and want more information, please visit GERDhelp.com or download our GERDhelp mobile app. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of TIFF Talk. Leave your questions and comments on our social media at GERDhelp. Live well, GERD free.